Greetings, greetings, greetings and salutations, one and all. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Night Shift of DJ Kevin Stewart's a brand new week right here on the Night Shift. And I took off the thing we call community and finance. How you doing? How you doing each and every one of you? Hope you're feeling good. Hope you had a great weekend. How was your mother's day? Girl, if you're ready, let me know. No set along talking where you for. Wine to the ground, y'all drop to the floor. Oh yo, oh yo. Well, if you're ready, let me go. Start up the countdown, time for the show. If that's what you want, take one for the road. No more thinking anything now. No taking personal. Five star Akil. It's called personal. Wanna officially welcome each and every one of you to the to the broadcast. Wanna say thanks to the affiliates. Those locked in on the night shift to DJ Kevin Stew on Tune and Radio. Those locked in on one high on the radio out of the UK. Top of the morning to you guys in the UK. Big ups to those on NIE Radio in New Jersey. 
those on Island Worldwide out of New York. Big up to you. Big up to those on WGLRO out of Texas. The People Station, home of the Donna Walker Morning Show. Taking you from the sheets to the streets. Once say big up to Aliwap Radio and Dusik Media Groups. Truly, I appreciate love, yeah. Much love to ClintonLindsay.com, the Foundation Radio Network. Big up to those who are locked in on Facebook Live. Remember, it's only a segment simulcast, just a segment of the broadcast. So use the link. Yeah, use the link in the description. KevinStew.com for those of you who don't know. The home of the night shift where you're encouraged to have acceptance through enlightenment. You get to watch and listen live. Those of you looking for the tune-in link, you can go to kevinstew.com and also get connected with tune-in through there. Inviting to call a friend, tell a friend, friends of your friends, enemies of your friends, friends of your enemies. Call everybody. Tell them it's the night shift to DJ Kevin Stew. Community and finance night. And before we get into the meat of the matter, I want to say thank you to my segment. Actually, I want to say thanks to all my sponsors. Because we won't even be taking a break. We'll be talking and going through. Thank you to Pulse Media Group. When being in a moment, it's priceless for innovative streaming and recording solutions. You can give them a call, 754-999-6020. You have a service, a church service, a conference, wedding, funeral, party, graduation. You want to stream it live on a secure platform? Go ahead and give them a call. Just like you see right here on KevinStew.com, they can get you hooked up, yeah? I want to say thank you to Althea and her healing heavenly hands. Althea SU is a light massage therapist that comes to you operating out of Broad County, North Miami-Dade and South Palm Beach counties. She brings her table, she brings her oils, over 20 years of experience and she comes to you COVID free and would love to leave that way. So if you have the virus, don't call her. Otherwise, you can schedule your appointment. 954-655-9000. That's 954-655-9000. And you can email her at theolator at att.net. While you're calling her, you can ask her about personal training. She's also certified as a personal trainer. Get your personalized service. And your massage after she puts you in pain. What more could you ask for? I want to say thank you to Reggae Global Entertainment. Reggae Global act as your booking agents, handle your tour management, take care of your copyrights, publishing, trading, trademarks, business registration, legal service referrals, music production, marketing and promotion, and so much more. Get him a call, 954-804-8199 Between the hours of 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Or you can check them out, reggaeglobalentertainment.com And thank you to GMAT Music Solutions 
Providing sound, light and stage production services, musical equipment, PA systems, audio engineers, DJs, bands, musicians, singers, and more. Get them a call, 754-307-GMAC. At 754-307-4622. Or you can check them out online, gmacmusicsolutions.com. That's G-M-A-C, music production. Sorry, music solutions. Speaking things into being here. Okay, so that takes care of the formalities. Saj, you ready? Saj, you there? I'm not hearing you. Saj, you there? Okay, hold on. I know, I know what is going on. Okay. All right, you hearing me now? You hearing me again? I can hear you perfectly. Can you okay, hear me? Okay, you're right. No, I can't hear you through the system. I wasn't hearing you clearly before, but I can okay. hear you clearly now. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present to you the man of the moment. Joining us tonight, courtesy of the Lauderhill Police Department, the one and only, introducing to you for the first time anywhere. I, well, you know, I don't know about other places, but... <laughs> <laughs> the first time on the night of the DJ Kevin Stew uh, representing the Lauder Hill Police Department tonight I present to you Sergeant Torrance Gary or is it Gary it's Gary right correct correct it's correct. Gary yeah it's T- Sergeant Torrance yes, Gary thank oh. you thank you thank what? you for having me this is a loud audience. We're gonna be clapping real loud. <laughs> All right, so, um, Saj, welcome to the broadcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you again for having me. I greatly appreciate you know the opportunity here to be able to you know open up this platform tonight. So thank you again. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you, man. Um, and just know that uh, the second Monday of of each month belongs to you guys at Lauder Hill Police Department. So, you know, whenever you feel like you sh- should be the one to present, not a problem. Just say, hey, LT, is it, <laughs> is it my turn? <laughs> Put me in, coach. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So, Sarge, tell us a little bit about yourself um, before we get down deep into this okay perfect um i can tell you that i've been with the city of lauder hill for approximately 12 years now and i started out in the community as a community youth programmer mm-hmm. and with that um i created programs for at-risk youth you know all the way up to you know the the straight age student so right. a lot of those um programs consisted of community engagement, political activism, getting out, learning financial literacy. So it was, you know, targeted at the youth to get them, one, involved in their community, and then also, you know, to help them learn and grow and become productive citizens in the community. From that point forward, I I was there for about seven years doing that. 
I decided I wanted to join the police department and move over into law enforcement. And I've been now with the Lauderdale Police Department for approximately five years. So that gives me my, my 12 year tenure there at the city. Mm. And during that time, I've worked the road patrol, worked night shift and day shift, Alpha Bravo. I've also been assigned to the detective bureau and I've investigated everything from your criminal mischiefs and grand thefts all the way up to your aggravated battery shootings, stabbings, homicides, you know, you name it. And I was recently in the last year and a half promoted to the rank of sergeant. And now I'm back on the road patrol and I'm assigned to the Bravo ship, which is the day shift. Okay. Uh, congratulations on the promotion. Thank you again. I appreciate that, sir. Not a problem. All right. So you've been, you've been doing this policing thing for a little while. Yes, sir. Um, you know, looking, looking at your picture, it's like straight out of high school kind of a thing. <laughs> Everyone that comes on this broadcast seems to be young. You know, I don't know. It's a thing. It must be a thing. Um, but you, you, you look like yeah. You, 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 you've been. You said you've been in this for over a decade. And Correct. Um, I've been serving the city for twelve years now. Yeah, and 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 look like just over two decades old. But coming, <laughs> that's a good thing. That's yeah, a good that's thing. a good thing. It is a good thing because it, it it shows that you know you're not that stressed out. And I try not to be. I try not to be at all. Right, and 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 we we know policing is not one of those things that you know is a is a is a walk in the park. No, not at all. I I definitely can't say it's a walk in the park. But I mean, the city is good, and. When you, you work in a place and you do something that you love, mm-hmm. it, it's not something that necessarily, you know, is stressful or cumbersome. It's something that you enjoy, and I enjoy helping people, and that's why I started out with the city, you know, 12 years ago, helping in the community as a program manager, and then moved into law enforcement. And a lot of my experiences early in my career helped me to where I am now as a law enforcement, where I have that connection with the community, I'm able you know, to, to have those bonds that, you know, it may take some other officers a little bit longer to kind of generate in, in, you know, in their tenure. But because I was able to start out working in the community and getting to know the people where I work, it made it that much easier, you know, when I moved over into law enforcement. Uh, You know, that seems to be like the formula to use for, for policing being already involved in the community and then going to work for the community in that respect. I believe so. I definitely believe so. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people recognize the, the serve in the protect and serve part of, of policing. And in the news lately, there have, there has, I guess the question has been, who exactly are they serving? They being the police, you know. With it always, it always has to be the community first. You got to put the community first. That's what we're there to do, and it's to protect lives in the community. And and you have to put the community first. If that's not the the forefront of what you're doing, then you're absolutely doing it wrong. Well, you know, when you when you when you look at the news and and what has hit the news lately 
with policing over the last uh, few years, at, at actually, but more so in the last two, three years with, with social media blowing up the way it has. Um, everybody, people reporting more through social media. The, there's more negative than you find positive. And recently, the, the, the big news recently was the, the, the George Floyd, um, Derek Chauvin trial with a, for the George Floyd, George Floyd death. Um, and then there are several other cases that involve policing. And the police officers just looked so much like villains compared to every other time. Or it seems like the only time police actually make it into the news is is when they're doing something quote unquote wrong. And some of these cases, I, I don't know if it's just a matter of boy, it's just an unfortunate situation. But then you look at a army, an army lieutenant being pulled over, pepper sprayed, and harassed. And you go back, you dig through into the archives and you come across a Philando Castile that was sitting in his car reaching for his wallet to present his ID and getting shot and killed. And the list goes on and on and people are posting various videos, painting the police in a bad light, defund the police and all these things going on. So we, fortunately for me, and those who that, 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 that follow the night shift to DJ Kevin Stu, we get to interact with a police department that has not been in the news in that way. We get to, to, to hear from officers that are truly serving the community. And if there's one thing that I, I, I can't stress enough is how many times I've heard of police officers from Lauderhill serving the community and the community appreciating that. I, I keep talking about the one police officer um, retirement service or celebration that I went to, um, Debbie Banner. And okay. this being pretty much a sold-out event in City Hall. It was crazy. And it says a lot. Definitely. Exactly. It does say a lot. And... All the officers that I've met from coming out of the Lauder Hill community, and, and I, I don't live in Lauder Hill, but all the officers that I've met coming out of the Lauder Hill community seem to be well into what happens into the com in the community. They've been very involved. They've been very concerned. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's, if it's Chief Stanley's way of, of managing the police department or what, but y'all seem to, to have that, that, that love for the community. And you said where it, where it started with you working in the community um, as, a, as a community manager, project Correct. manager. Correct. So, you know, that, that, that you've always been serving the community. So ton right. tonight specifically now, uh, I want to look at... at, at the tough subjects 
or the tough subject areas of apprehension and use of force. Okay. Uh, um, big ups to those who are, are, are joining in. Again, you, can, you guys can participate in this conversation also. 773-789-STU gets you in touch. 773-789-7839. You can call, you can text, you can WhatsApp, you can Telegram. Um, preferably, I'd want you to jump into the stew pot on kevinstew.com. Others call it a chat room, but because we're fancy over here on kevinstew.com, it's a stew pot. It's where we keep things interactive and bubbly. Yeah, we're fancy. So come on in. You can remain anonymous and post your questions. Um, we're talking, we're interacting, we're learning tonight. Those of you on Facebook Live, use the link in the description. Come on over to kevinstew.com. Bobby, big ups to you. Kujo, much love. Um, so, Sarge. Yes, sir. When it comes to apprehension and, and use of force, the two seem to kind of go hand in hand. Um, whereas... If there's some resistance being met, the thought pattern is some sort of force is going to be used. But when you guys are being taught about apprehending a suspect, isn't there uh, uh, some do's and don'ts that 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 you're giving? We, we can definitely we can definitely talk about it, and I think it's important that we talk about it. You know, mm. especially when it comes to uses of force and, and, and arrest and how that procedure goes and how it works. Yeah. Um, first thing first, communication is key. You have to have communication. Mm-hmm. And that's both on the officer's part and also, you know, the, the citizen's part and understanding, you know, each other. You have to un- understand your audience. So I would say the, the first thing that you need to do is, is verbalize what's going on so that everyone in the situation has a clear understanding of of what's going on. Okay. If there's a situation where an arrest is going to be made, where, you know, you have to uphold the law and there's no decision, you know, to, to go another way, whether it's to, you know, write a a NTA, which is a notice to appear or, Mm -hmm. you know, give some kind of diversionary program. If an arrest has to be made, the officer, you know, has to ver- verbalize to the citizen, hey, look, this is what is going on. This is the reason why you're under arrest at this time. And these are the charges, you know, that you're looking at. Also, during that process, if the officer is going to speak to the citizen in reference to that arrest and, and, you know, get any kind of statements from the citizen, they need to read Miranda and make sure mm-hmm. that the citizen clearly understands what that means that they do have the right not to answer any questions or speak to the police if they do not feel, you know, at that time without a lawyer being present, you know, comfortable with that situation. They have, you know, the the opportunity to wait to have the lawyer present in order to speak about the case. And I encourage anyone, especially when I was a detective, mm-hmm. to give me their side of the story because sometimes that changes the entire situation because just because you're getting, you know, this allegation from let's say a victim in the case it doesn't necessarily mean that that was the intent of whoever the the suspect was in that case or the defendant was in that case so i always encourage you know individuals to give me their side of the story where the good bad or indifferent 
you know, and it also humanizes the situation where if you did make a mistake and you own it, you know, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, these interviews are recorded with video and audio and, you know, at a later time, whoever it is at the state's attorney's office or a judge would be able to, to hear and see, you know, the findings and the facts of this case and also hear your point of view and your side of it. So it, it also, you know, gives you an opportunity, like I said, to explain yourself, but also humanize if you did make a mistake, hey, this is what I did. And, you know, unfortunately, this was this was the, you know, the end result of it. But, you know, I understand that I did something wrong and I'm able to accept those, you know, consequences, whatever it is that that comes for after the fact. But, you know, you're basically, you know, cleaning the slate at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I said, communication is is 100 percent what you have to have in that situation, because the last thing that we want to do is, as law enforcement is take away someone's freedom. So, I mean, that's like the end of the road, you know, in a scenario that, hey, look, this is what we have to do based upon what the law says and what we have to enforce and do our job. But that's not necessarily, you know, the first tool in the belt to say just, hey, I'm just going to arrest somebody. But so but even with showing up, sorry, even even with showing up and, and giving um, your side of the story, given that in the so you show up you you get a call about me doing something um to someone else okay and i decide i'm not saying a word without a lawyer or my lawyer present okay doesn't that automatically make it seem like you know whatever you're being told is right and as such, I, I I I deserve to be detained. Well, being detained and being arrested is two different things. And in a criminal investigation, gotcha. you know, if an officer responds and they have reasonable suspic- suspicion, and reasonable reasonable suspicion is described. Can you can you hear me still? Yeah, I'm still hearing you. Okay. So that reasonable suspicion is described as, you know, an officer being able to articulate that a crime has been committed, Mm -hmm. is being committed, or is about to be committed. So at that point in time, an officer can detain you in efforts to further that investigation and figure out, you know, what has transpired. At that time, it doesn't mean that you're under arrest, just means that you can, you're not free to leave until the officer has basically, you know, investigated this case and, and checked up all the boxes to say, okay, this is, you know, a crime that has been committed by this particular individual, mm-hmm. or it's not, you know, necessarily what's been given to the officer, the allegation. And then from there, the officer, you know, is, is attempting to develop that probable cause to say that, you know, all of the facts and the totality of the circumstances that's presented to the officer leads them to believe that this individual did commit this particular crime. At that point in time, then someone would be under arrest. But like I said, again, being detained, you know, and being arrested is two totally different, you know, things. And without, without speaking, you don't have to do that. Like I said, again, it's your right. So, it's, is it in your best interest to 
if let's just say you you did not do this and you wanted to explain yourself, a hundred percent. But it's still your choice. If you wanted to wait for your attorney, that's still your choice as well. So, like I said again, that the verbalization and the communication and explaining everything to whoever you know the citizen may be, whether they're the victim and or the suspect in the case, is you know what's needed because without having that proper education, you may feel like, hey, this officer is just taking this person's side or, hey, I'm being arrested without, you know, being given, you know, the benefit of the doubt or, or anything. And mm-hmm. also, you know, they have to collect evidence in the case. There has to be specific facts and evidence present in order for that officer to make an arrest. Right. Can't just make an arrest based upon one person's word. So, so uh, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. So, you know, with that being said, like I said, if, if you decide to speak in that situation, it could work out in your favor where, hey, the officer now sees, OK, this person who gave this allegation, it, it's it's not matching up. It's not consistent with what's present as far as evidence whether it be video or physical evidence or, you know, mm-hmm. something left on a scene or something like that. So okay. you, you want to, you want to verbalize, especially if you know, like, Hey, look, no, nah, I didn't do this. Now, if, if you did do the crime, maybe it may not be in your best interest to talk at that time. Maybe you may want to wait for an attorney to tell them, Hey, you know, to tell you, Hey, say this and don't say that. So, I mean, so I'm like not I said, comes- again, it, just, it just depends on the situation. Okay, so 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 does that come before or after the Miranda rights are are read? Well, once you're once you're in a place where you're not free to leave, and a law enforcement officer is asking you questions that may incriminate you, yeah. So that could even be at a point of just simply being detained, not under arrest at that point. Mm-hmm. You could just be detained, and if the officer is asking you incriminating questions, hey, you know that will further further this investigation and potentially lead to an arrest, yes, you have to be read Miranda or else anything that you say cannot be used against you in a court of law unless that is, you know, verbalized and read to you and that you understand it. Okay, so going to this this comment here in the stew part. Um, okay. Is it really recommended to converse with a police officer without a lawyer? When you affirm that you did something you are guilty am i wrong here and again that that goes back to a personal preference yeah if you want to speak to the officer and then and you know tell them hey this is what happened in the, in this case you are more than free to do that if you do not want to speak to the officer you also have that right so there's there's no right or wrong answer to that mm. it's totally up to you and again, like I said, especially if you know you didn't do something, right. it may be in your best interest to speak to the officer and let them know, you know, hey, these are, this is what really transpired or this is how it happened. And you may be justified in whatever you did in that particular case, but it just depends, you know, on the, on the totality of the circumstances that you're, you're looking at. So, I mean, every, everyone kind of handles that differently. Some people, they will not talk to you without having an attorney present, which is fine. And, you know, some individuals, they will speak to you without that attorney present. So, um, 
<laughs> and you know that's a good point Bobby he says it's amazing how people talk themselves into criminal activities or talk themselves into appearing to have done something criminal um, have you found that to be the case on, on any occasion yourself um, in the cases that I investigated as a detective I will tell you there's you know times where individuals may not understand let's say a question that you're mm -hmm. asking them and they may answer it in a way that may may appear as though they've committed a crime or did something gotcha. that they should have and i think it's prudent upon you as a law enforcement officer especially as a good detective to continue to ask questions so that you're making sure that you're receiving you know the right information that they're putting out the same way that you know, you're asking the questions in a way that's, I wouldn't say necessarily tricking someone or it has to be not necessarily simplistic, but it has to be in a form that they can understand. You have to know your audience. So if you're asking a question that the person does not understand and they're giving you an answer that doesn't align with what you're asking, you may need to rephrase that question so that you're getting the correct information that they're putting out the correct information as well. But that that kind of gets a little bit tricky <laughs> when it when it when it when individuals are, are are not really aware of how they're answering a question one like you said and two isn't the isn't this where now a, a bit of experience comes into play with the officer doing the arrest because if it's a if it's a uh, let's say at, at first year patrol officer um and called to the scene of an incident not, mm -hmm. not saying it's the scene of a crime an incident and with asking questions now perceives that the answer that is given point paints a picture of criminal activity the and then uh, someone who is a little bit more seasoned like yourself now comes on the scene, ask the very same question. And because of your experience, it's it's a different interpretation of the information. So with the first officer not being as experienced, that person could end up getting arrested. Well, in a situation like that, I would definitely say that I can tell you when I was a rookie officer, yeah. the you know, the officers that were my partners which were more seasoned than me, you know, they, they would be on scene and I would ask them questions. If I, if I didn't, you know, com completely understand something, yeah. I would refer back to them and ask them questions. So I also push that on, on, you know, the officers that work with me on my squad that, Hey, look, if you don't know something, then you need to do your research and you also, you know, need to ask questions you need to, you know, play these scenarios in your head and ask questions to the officers who've been here for a while and or contact your supervisor. Mm -hmm. And whenever an arrest is made in our agency, I can tell you, and I don't know if this is true for every other agency, but for the Lauderhill Police Department, a supervisor signs off on that probable cause affidavit. So they're reading the, you know, the facts of that case and making sure that it aligns with the charges that's been presented by the officer. So if gotcha. it doesn't align, then the supervisor is, you know, reading through that and saying, hey, no, this doesn't, you know, make sense with what you have. So 
a lot mm. of the times, if it's a if it's a newer officer, they will probably give you that call. Yeah. Say, hey, you know, Sarge, I have this that I'm dealing with, and then you start running them through the questions, you start running them through different things, and if need be, then you're out there on the scene. Especially with a newer officer, you may just respond out to a call that he's making or she's making an arrest on, or you know, they're potentially may be an arrest on just to make sure that everything is being done by policy and procedure. So, you know, the officers are, are continuously learning. This is a job that's always evolving because, right. you know, the law is constantly changing. Yes. So you have to stay abreast of your legal updates and, you know, current law. Uh, you never can know enough and you never know everything. So you always have to lean on that research. I'm very big on research. So if you, you know, don't necessarily have it, you know, on, like Johnny on a spot on top of your head. Yeah. You go and sit down in your car and, and open up your statute book and you read. So oh. I'm, I'm very big on that. Okay. So in the process of, of, of detaining someone with a possibility of arrest, you go, you can go ahead and, and, and refer to your, basically your operating manual. Yes, the, the Florida State statute book, Yes, um, that has every single law that's on the books here in the state of Florida. That's open to the public as well. So, you know, if you want to just pick up one of those books and, and read up on, hey, you know, what, what are, you know, the statutes for, let's just say, a theft mm -hmm. or a robbery or, or anything, it outlines these are the facts that must be present in order for this charge to basically you know, go forward and have probable cause for an arrest. So, you know, I, like I said, again, if, if there's an officer that's unsure of something or, Hey, I have these things in front of me and I'm like, Hey, if you don't, if you don't know that for a fact, a hundred percent, then you need to read your statute book and you can read it right there on site. Because if you have a, a partner there, that partner can be standing by with the individuals mm -hmm. on the scene while you're, you know, looking through that legal you know, book there. So all the time, all the time, I'm, I'm always stressing that because you have to know, you know, you're legal. You have to know it. You know, it's interesting that you, you, you say that um, because I guess because of how we're conditioned because of TV shows and movies, the belief of, of Joe Public is that the officers should know what they're doing and the officers should know the law. So if there's an officer that is it's referring to a book on what to do, as the situation is unfolding, the, the perception is they don't know what they're doing. And now the level of respect that is, is, is being meted out to that particular officer ends up being lessened. And that in, in and of itself could possibly cause for a, a real uncomfortable situation. Um, I understand what you're saying, but I think at the same time we're 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 called to wear so many different hats on yeah. on our job. I mean, you come in and some days you're a counselor, the next day you're a nurse or, or a doctor. You you know performing CPR on somebody's trying to save their life. Um, you're you know going out there and you're enforcing the law, so you have to know the the legal. And there's so many statutes, there's so many laws. It's impossible for someone to cram every single thing into their head. The, mm -hmm. the basics, the ones that you see pretty much every day or, you know, every month, right. you're going to know those on the, off the top of your head just because, you know, your job. Right. But at the same token, we're, you know, talking about a new officer. So someone new, fresh out of the academy, 
and you know on basic training they're they're learning so when you come out of the academy you're, you're learning you're learning a lot you're learning how to do your job you're learning you know the, the operations the procedures so it's a it's a huge learning curve when it be, when it comes to being an officer and again like i said you know you never shy away from researching and from and knowing you know you're legal you have to continuously read and keep yourself updated and definitely if you if you don't read the state statutes then you won't you won't know what you're doing right. so you know reading reading a book even if it's on scene i would never discourage an officer from doing that because i would rather you be informed and, and even if it's informed in that moment than making a false arrest or an arrest that shouldn't be made because you just went off of what you thought so knowing your legal is is huge what, so what about what about a the the citizen at the, at that point in that situation asking the officer to then to refer to that manual would you recommend something like that you know as 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 the situation is unfolding and um the the that individual that citizen is saying but i, I don't believe this is how this is supposed to go um could you please refer to your manual and tell me how this goes for sure was that something that you would recommend I mean, to, like, to a like, citizen again, uh, if, if, if someone you know in a situation is versed in the law and they're and they're asking hey this doesn't sound right this sounds you know like like it, it's not matching up with what you're telling me here and mm -hmm. they wanted to either a request a supervisor on scene to explain it further or someone who's more versed by by all means because like i said again the the last thing you will want is for someone's freedom to be taken away from them unjustly so even in that situation if I mean, there's there's times where an officer may pull over, let's say, a lawyer. Yeah. So in that situation, you're you're probably going to be, you know, told, hey, look, I know this and I know that. So the officer, you know, you you gotta you gotta know yourself. You have to know mm. yourself. So I, I I would never discourage anyone from saying, hey, you know, if if this doesn't match up and they know what they're talking about, okay, let's let's talk about it. Let's you know. But in a respectful way, it always has to be respectful. Right. Never, you know, something that's in a, in a place where it comes to a place of aggression or anything like that, because that would obviously lead into next to what we're talking about as far as the use of force. Right. So, you know, again, it's all about having respect on both sides and communication. Communication is key. You know, I, I um, want to jump off Facebook right now. Those of you locked in on Facebook Live, use a link and come on over to KevinStew.com for the remainder of the broadcast. So, um, another comment here in 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 the stew pot, where here it is. Bobby is saying, you know, the 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 comment suggests that if you do not cooperate, you are guilty. Isn't this a shortcoming of the justice system? Rich people wait for a lawyer. Poor people talk, try to talk their way out. So that, that, that now talks our points in the direction of, of, of classes. And, and different classes of people will operate differently. I guess it's, I, I would dare to go further and say it, 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 it's a matter of knowledge. 
and knowledge of the law. Um, he goes on to say, I've been around officers for a few years and arrest is not the first thing on their mind. They're out to help. So Correct. this now speaks to quite a bit of what you were saying, Sarge, where it relates to open up the, opening up the lines of communication and getting information to, to better assess the situation. Of course. And, you know, it, like I said, again, it's about communication. We're taught to de-escalate situations. So when I walk in a room, if there's someone that's, you know, loud and, and being very, very verbal, mm-hmm. I'm not coming into that room and, you know, trying to be on their level or trying to top their level. Mm-hmm. I'm going in that room to de-escalate the situation and yeah. to calm it down. And I may even be talking a lot lower than the person who's, you know, the loudest in the room because now they have to quiet themselves down in order, in order to hear what I'm saying. So right. it's, it's very much so about communication on all levels and how you do that. Semantics, you have to, you know, how, know how to use that term, that, I'm sorry, that tone. Right, and, right. And the way that you, you use your wording, the words that your word choice, your diction, you know, when you're talking to people. You know, you have to be respectful just because you're wearing a gun and a badge and a uniform doesn't, you know, make you above anybody else or make make it to a point where you can't just talk to someone and have, you know, a, a regular conversation. Right. You have to have emotional intelligence and you have to know your audience. You have to know the community that you're serving 100 percent. I love how you, you keep coming back to the community you're serving. Because ultimately, that, that's a big part of what you do as police officers. You serve the community. So now, in, 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 let's say here it is a situation where, yes, the person that you're, you're, you're going, you're speaking to in this situation, it's a matter of, yes, this person needs to be arrested. So now we're coming to the, how that is, is, is to happen and okay. if the, the, the individual, and I'm going to go straight to it, the individual is deciding, hey, you know, <laughs> you're here to arrest me and I don't want to be arrested. Okay. We can definitely talk about that as well. So um, let's first talk about the different levels of resistance that, you know, a suspect can present to an officer. Mm-hmm. So there is passive resistance which is simply a, an individual refusing to comply with an officer's orders, mm-hmm. um, refusing to take his hands out of his pockets or take his hands from behind his back. Those are passive resistance levels there. Right. Then you have active resistance, which is going to be that tensing, pushing, pulling, preventing an officer from establishing control over the subject. Mm-hmm. Then you have aggressive resistance, which is resistance that can be an attacking movement, you know, creating a boxing stance, swinging at an officer, trying to punch him, kick him, anything along those lines. Something that's going to cause injury but may not cause death or great bodily harm. Mm -hmm. And then you have deadly force resistance, which is, you know, an attacking motion that has the capability of causing death or great bodily harm to that officer, whether that's, you know, presenting a a weapon, firing a weapon, 
moving towards an officer with a weapon, using a vehicle as a weapon. Those are just some examples right. there. And then there's three levels of resistance that I'm sorry, three levels of control or response that the officer has to these four levels of resistance, which is going to be physical control. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, uh, takedowns, any kind of techniques that give you leverage over the subject without using any kind of weapons, just using basically your body motion in hands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, then you have non-lethal weapons, which we've seen in the news, the taser. Right. Uh, expandable batons, those type of things, or uh, chemical agent sprays. Pepper spray. And yeah. then, of course, there's uh, deadly force. And that's, you know, the use of a firearm and which could cause death or great bodily harm. Right. Okay. Okay. So is there, when, at what point do you apply these methods of force or these levels of force in making an arrest where, where, there is is resistance because all right so we know in the dante right case where for whatever reason he is getting back into his car to leave and this officer though she says mistakenly pulls at her gun instead of her taser and and shoots him um so here you have a situation like that He's getting into his car. Does that fall under deadly, f- res- deadly force resistance or just resistance? So if he was using that vehicle to come at an officer, then that would constitute deadly force. Mm-hmm. If he's reentering that vehicle to flee, then no, that wouldn't be deadly force resistance you'd be a situation there mm-hmm. of active and or possibly maybe some kind of aggressive depending on you know how how that vehicle or how you know he he gets into the vehicle whether he punched the officer first and then jumped into the vehicle and fled or if he just ran away from the officer and then got into the vehicle you have a active or aggressive but if he used the vehicle in an effort to let's say run over or an officer or another member of the public, then right. you'll be looking at a deadly force situation there. Um, when affecting an arrest, you could you could see that level of resistance go, like you said, from a point of someone just simply saying, "Hey, I'm, I don't want to go," and you know they're they're just resisting what the officer is telling them to do. Hey, take your hands out of your pockets, take your hands from behind your back, being passive yes. to a place of once the officer says, okay, we'll put your hands behind your back and they're physically controlling the particular subject to a place of, hey, I'm going to tense and I'm going to pull and push away from you. There you go, active, to a place of aggressive, saying, hey, I'm going to take a swing at an officer. I'm going to you know, try to punch him, kick him, whatever it is, try to get into this fight, mm-hmm. all the way up to presenting you know, deadly force to that officer. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have a weapon. In that case, I mean, they could try to disarm the officer and take their weapon. Right. So there, there's different levels, like I said, again, of that resistance. Now, an officer 
can respond to these situations based upon those three parameters that we have. There's no other means of response to resistance. And, and it would be either that physical control. And mm -hmm. you have to look at the totality of the circumstances again. You know, when you're going through this this split second decision that you're that you're making, is this, you know, resistance that's being presented to me, is this warranted of you know, deadly force. Is this something that you could use a non-lethal weapon for, or is it something that you could just physically control the the individual? If you're talking about, let's say, an officer who is five foot tall, a hundred mm. pounds against a six-two, three hundred pound person, yeah, just that person presenting some kind of aggression, and then now swinging at that officer. Could, could result into something that could be deadly force because they probably could, you know, cause some kind of serious or bodily harm to the officer just in a fight. Right. So right. again, it's, it, it's about using, you know, all the resources that you have available to you, knowing not to respond to, to a call where there's, you know, let's say a domestic incident and you're responding as a solo officer, you know, by policy that you need to wait for backup in that type of situation because you're going to more than likely have two parties on scene. Right, so right. as a single officer trying to get in the middle of two people, it could it could turn, you know, very bad for you. So, you know, you have to use the resources that you have. You have to, you know, verbalize. And a lot of the times it may be just that verbal judo of mm. talking to somebody and talking them down, de-escalating them. It has to come to a place of you even having to use physical control. I've had situations that I can talk about personally where I've walked in a situation and there's someone there that is on 100. They're, mm. they're ready to fight everybody. They're upset. Yeah. They're mad. And you're like, hey, look, this person is probably going to go to jail because they violated the law. But it's all in how you talk to them. It's all about how you deal with the situation. You humanize it. And you you make this person understand, hey, look, this is what's going on and this is why it's going on. You'll have people say, look, it is what it is. And I've had people, honestly, and I kid you not, on the way to jail thanking me for taking them out of that situation because they know that they probably would have did something a lot worse <laughs> had we not come in there and stopped it. And they're like, hey, you know what? I thank you for treating me the way that you did and giving me the respect that you did even though I made a mistake in this particular situation. And again, they're like, you know, if I ever see you in the community, you know, I, I want to give you a thanks. I want, I've had people come up to me literally after the fact, seeing mm -hmm. them in the community and shake my hand. Thank you for, you know, for taking the time out to, to treat me the way that you did, even though I made, you know, a mistake. And thank you for talking to me and, and, and you know, giving me that education so, so that it's all in all in how you how you you know respond and how you treat people. 100%. So in, in that case, um, <laughs> well, that 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 is different when it comes to to someone who is is I guess not on edge. What we have seen apparently in the news, as it relates to police officers lately, is uh, apparently these officers being on edge when um, their force their first course of action involves. Um, wrestling someone to the ground or pulling their service firearm um, or even holding someone on the ground 
for an extended period of time. Um, as we saw with, with George Floyd. Uh, there was another... There's a video that I saw recently of a man in a park in California, I'd like to say. And whereas it seems like there's a there's a a bit of a it should have been a bit of a mental health call. This individual is in the park and he seems to be talking to himself. Not bothering anybody though. Not not threatening anybody. But the cops were called. The cops came along, starting to talk with him, um, asking him to identify himself, asking him for ID. He didn't have any, and they're saying, okay, so we're going to have to take you in if you don't have any ID. And so they started to uh, put handcuffs on him. And clearly this guy is in some sort of a state of mental distress, whether it was because he was drinking, because I think there was some alcohol involved, or just stress but he he's he seems to be saying things that doesn't quite add up in the situation and he's a bigger guy and they're trying to to, to put handcuffs on him and they get him they wrestle him to the ground and they put handcuffs on him but while having him on the ground with the handcuffs on he is still face down on the ground now, when, as it relates to putting on the cuffs, detaining someone that way, making that arrest, at what point do you say, all right, now we've, we have control over this situation. How, does, how do we move from here? Do we now take the person out of this position that they're in and put them somewhere else? Do we restrain them um, in another form, in another way? How then do, does, does, does it move? When it comes to the Lauder Hill Police Department, how, how do you, you guys get told to, to operate in that situation? You have to take someone down, put the cuffs on them. How does that play out? I would tell you, we're trained, and this starts in the academy, and, you know, reference to positional asphyxia mm -hmm. and we understand that if someone is on their chest if they're on their stomach it's a lot harder to breathe and especially if you've been in a situation where you may have been you know kind of wrestling or, or tussling yeah with with another individual and it's south florida it's hot so mm -hmm. that in itself may even exhaust you mm. there, there's no way that you're going to leave someone sitting on their stomach or you know, face down on a ground and think that, you know, that that's not going to lead to some kind of respiratory issue. So a hundred percent, we, once you, once you have the handcuffs on, it, it's no longer a, a place of, of saying, Hey, let me, you know, try to inflict some kind of pain or try to try to prevent this person from, you know, their natural course of breathing. It, it's all about now, okay, now that I have you under, you know, control, we have mm -hmm. you in restraints, let's get you up, let's dust you off, and let's get you in the car to, you know, either the police department to be processed and then down to the main jail, or if it's, you know, a situation where that arrest can be processed right there on the scene, process the individual there, 
and then have the paperwork signed off and then to the main jail. So there's nothing in our policies that would dictate or say for an officer to continue to keep an individual placed in a position where they would not be able to breathe or to, you know, rest on, on a individual in a, in a, in a way. And actually our policy, um, dictates that we will not use on people. We don't choke people out or anything like that. That's actually prohibited in our policy for the Lauderdale Police Department. So mm. it, it, it's all about care, custody, and control. So once an individual is in custody, you you have to attend to them. You have to care to them. If they're telling you, hey, look, I'm suffering from this injury. I don't care if it's just a, a stubbed toe or a straight knee. I need fire rescue. I need this. Okay, we're going to have fire rescue come and check you out to make sure you're okay. If there's a situation where there's visible injuries to the person, we're taking you to the hospital and having you medically checked out by a doctor before you're even transported to the jail. So it's all about, at the end of the day, being fair, just, and impartial. Just because this person you know, may have committed a crime doesn't make them any lesser, you what? know. Well, than, than you or than anyone else. Here we are, though, the situation that I'm presenting, this person didn't commit a crime. Um, he, he was just pretty much talking to himself in, mm-hmm. in a little park. And he ended up dying, by the way. So they, That's terrible. Yeah, they wrestled him to the ground. He's handcuffed. He's a bigger guy. Um, so he's face down. And one officer asks... The other, you know, is there any weight on his back or anything? And he goes, no, 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 no weight, no weight, no pressure on his back. Um, but he's still face down. And the officer has his knee, like, on his shoulder. Or by his, his, um, yeah, in the middle of his back there by his shoulder. Really, still restraining this guy. So he's been drinking, the guy has been drinking, he's overweight, and he's face down on the ground. When, as, as, as you guys have gone through and continuously go through your trainings with, with detaining and, and restraining, do you take those things into consideration? A hundred percent. You have to look at, you know, the, the body makeup of, of an individual and again, like I said, we're, we're trained in positional asphyxia. So we, we understand and we know that if someone, whether they're, you know, larger stature or if they're even smaller, just being in certain positions after, you know, let's say a situation like that where there's some kind of heightened um, sensation of, of the heart or anything like that, mm-hmm. you, you're going to run into a situation where you may have someone having respiratory issues. So you want to make sure you position them in a place where they're able to properly breathe. And again, I can't speak for another agency besides the Lauderdale Police Department, but I know that myself and any other officers that I've worked with, they take that extremely serious because once this person is in your custody, you, you essentially have to render every single care need whatever it is for them so right. you, you don't you don't even want to you know go down that road of not doing what you're supposed to do and you just like i said again this is a job where you have to have 
compassion and empathy for other people. You can't just, you know, be in a, in a place of being robotic. You have to have common sense. You have to use common sense. And you have to have compassion for other individuals. You know, and I tell the officers that work with me every single day, I said, treat people the same way you would want to be treated if you were not in that uniform. Right. And I, I think that is, 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 is one of the struggles that even the community on a whole would probably have because that person in that uniform behind that badge is seen differently when that uniform is taken off and that badge isn't present. So even the whole perception of that individual, it, it changes. Now, when it comes to going back to positional asphyxiation, and funny enough, this was something that I, I, I learned of um, talking about the Trayvon Martin death, believe it or not. And I was, I was speaking with the consultant on the Rodney Reed case about this because he opened my eyes to a whole different view of the Trayvon Martin death. Um, and as it relates to positional asphyxia. And it only takes a short time for someone to succumb to compression suffocation. Now, you, you are handcuffed. Your, your, your hands are restrained behind your back. Your chest cavity opens up a whole lot differently because of the position of your arms. Now, you're on your stomach and your lungs operate in a, in a, in a restricted way. And this is how the compression suffocation works out, or positional asphyxiation. And I learned that while talking with, with David Fisher, consultant on, on, on the Rodney Reed case. Now, it isn't talked about a whole lot in the public scenes. And I don't know the extent of, of, of police training, but you say that quite a bit of emphasis is placed on that and recognition of that when detaining someone. So, 100%. so if anything, <laughs> we would expect zero cases um, of positional asphyxia coming out of the Lauderhill Police Department. Um, but when an individual is in a situation, so here we are. Now, Adrenaline is pumping and this is a, is, a, is a heightened situation and here is a larger person resisting, physically resisting. Doesn't that kind of make it necessary to, put, to keep them in a position that they're less likely to be resistant? Understanding what what your question is, you're you're asking me again if if it would be necessary because of the stature of a person yeah. to keep them in a position laying down face down. You're saying yeah, so they're resist they're constantly resisting, and they're fighting back and they're fighting back. A bigger person. There's there's there's, there's other other means, especially if this person is. Is resisting you at this at this place of you know, and they're they're a larger person. Yeah, you 
you know, you have other means. Like I said, there, there's shackles that you could use, you know, to keep their legs from kicking. And again, getting them into that police vehicle. Our police vehicles, they have the partition and they also have cages on the windows. Right. So if you get this individual in the car, mm-hmm. you know, in a reasonable amount of time, then that's less likely that the officers are going to be injured. Because just because someone is handcuffed doesn't now mean that they're no longer a threat. Like you're saying, they they can continue to resist. Right. So, you know, even in that, you know, you can still have an officer get hurt while someone is handcuffed. But keeping someone in a position which may lead to their death is not going to be ideal either. So, again, you have to make these decisions and a lot of them are split-second decisions. Mm-hmm. They're situations, or I'm sorry, there's decisions that you're making in the heat of the moment. Right. So you have to, you know, use, you know, your good judgment and common sense when doing it. I explained it to the officers that I work with as the the multiple choice answer in the sense that there's there's four possible outcomes. You have best good and you have two answers that are completely you know out of the question so you want to eliminate those automatically then you have good and best so Mm -hmm. you always want to strive for best but sometimes you know that that good is is maybe the 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 highest that you can get to right but again you want to you want to get to a place of of being at the best possible decision that you can make in that moment so you know, again, keeping someone in a position where they're likely to have respiratory issues and or die. Yes. That that's not going to be, you know, sufficient. That's not going to work. That's not going to be one of the good or best answers that we can strive for. So, you know, at that point, if you need to call for more backup, you need more officers to help you to restrain this person, to get them into a vehicle sooner, you know, to transport them to the station where, you know, even have another car follow that particular officer to the station mm-hmm. to make sure that, you know, that officer isn't, you know, stopped or or something happens where, you know, this individual is able to, you know, escape or get free or anything like that from the vehicle. And there's right. only one officer present and then getting them to the facility where they can be, you know, placed into a holding cell. That that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to, you know, get this individual under control. And again, like I said, a lot of it is speaking and talking to the person, even though, you know, someone may have a mental illness doesn't mean that you can't speak with them. You can't talk to them. And the more you, you know, humanize the the entire experience and you treat the person with respect, even though they may be acting out of character, you still have to remain professional because, if you can, if you go down the same path that they're going down, what is going to be the end result of that? Yeah, it's not going to be a positive outcome. And we're here to serve and protect, so you you can never deviate, you know, and, and say, hey, look, you know what? I'm just going to do something, you know, contrary to what policy says or contrary to what's right. You have to continue to be a professional at all lengths. So. You have to use those resources. Use the resources. If you need additional officers, get them there. If you need to use, you know, additional restraints, use those restraints. At some point in time, this person, you know, that's resistant is either going to tire themselves out 
and or not be able to overpower, you know, X, X amount of officers that are present. But I think and that is, that is, sorry, I think that is where the, 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 the deaths seem to occur when that person has become so exhausted in resisting that now, okay, we can take them out of this position where we have leverage, we being the police officers. Um, and this is what I saw when I, when I watched this video of, of this guy in California because it happened so quickly. You know, in, in, a matter, in a matter of five minutes, this guy was dead. Again, that's terrible, bro. And I'm not happy to hear that at all. And I don't, but, I'm not saying that they, they, they tried to kill him. It's just that mm -hmm. he, he was resisting. And in order to maintain control of the situation, they, they kept him in this position. And really and truly, it just takes a matter of, of, of a few, of, a couple of minutes, literally. About two minutes before you can end up unconscious or dead being in this position. Flipping the script and going even further to more hard, more more forceful means deadly force the the drawing of a weapon um going back to dante right where this officer thought that she had her taser and used her gun as it relates to the placement of these two weapons is there is there a, a policy in place for police officers to say all right so you have a taser, you have a gun. You put one here, you put one there. So you don't mix them up. Is there anything like that that happens? In the Lauderhill Police Department, again, I'll, I'll just speak for us. Yeah. We we are trained to have a cross draw on the tasers. So your firearm would be on your uh, strong side or your, right. your, your you know, fire hand side. Yeah. And then your taser would be on the opposite side. So there's little room for confusion in that particular, you know, situation. Right. Okay. I can't, again, I can't speak yeah. for other agencies to say that that's the way that they operate. But I know that in our department, if you, you know, see any Lauderhill police officer, yes. you'll see that their firearm is going to be on one side of their belt. And then you'll see that they're taser is on the opposite side and there's never a time where you're going to see both on the same side right and and that's a part of your ongoing training that you recognize that and you use them accordingly correct yes sir cool i just want to, to get that out there so that people understand where we're coming from um, as it relates to the Lauderhill Police Department. Again, we can't talk about other agencies because I'm talking to someone from the Lauderhill Police Department. If you're just tuning in, uh, welcome to the Night Shift Community and Finance Night. I have online with me uh, Sergeant Terrence Gary of the... And we're talking about apprehension and the use of force. And so if you're, if you're just tuning in, NIE Radio... Uh, Island Worldwide, One Harmony Radio, WGLRO, Dusik Media Group, Aliwap Radio, ClintonLindsay.com, The Foundation Radio Network. Thank you, thank you, thank you, all of you, for supporting and carrying this broadcast. Um, so, Sarge, when it comes to when, at what point do you deploy your taser in making this arrest? 
Okay, so again, at, at our resistance level, just for anyone else who's just coming on to, you know, the call and listening, uh, you, you're, again, you have passive, active, aggressive, and deadly force. So mm -hmm. you would need to be at active resistance in order to use a taser, which is considered a non-lethal weapon. Okay. So based on our policy, someone who's at passive, again, that's, you know, someone who's, you know, peacefully prote protesting at a political event or in a public place, uh, someone that's refusing to take their hands out of their pockets or behind their back or just refusing to move at the officer's direction, you would have passive, you would not be able to use a taser on that particular individual. It would have to be at active, which is going to be that tensing, bracing, pushing, pulling, and preventing the officer from establishing control over the subject. Mm -hmm. So, and those are, you know, those type of evasive movements. So at that point in time, you would need to be at least at active resistance to deploy a taser. Hmm. So <laughs> here we go again. It seems to be a fine line between that, that active resistance and that uh, deadly force resistance. So, when, I, when an go individual, I know, I know you got the tough questions for me. Go ahead. Yeah, you see, and and I'm not trying to to point any fingers when it comes to police no, and paint with a broad not brush. I'm I'm really trying to 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 make sure to make this as specific as possible, um, and 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 not try to create any animosity between public and police. When it comes to the use of the taser when someone is already handcuffed, how does that work? In a situation where someone is handcuffed? Yeah. I would, I would venture to see how, I, I don't know, you'd have to kind of, I guess, explain to me a situation or kind of give me some kind of scenario as to what you're asking. Because I, in my opinion, if someone is handcuffed, again, like I said, they, it's not that they cannot be a threat anymore, but the use of a taser at that point, I wouldn't think that that would be a, a, a likely use of, of response from an officer, physical control in that particular situation should be justified and be enough. I mean, even if someone is running away from you and they, if they're handcuffed, if you tase them, they're more than likely going to fall face forward mm -hmm. and they're probably going to, you know, hurt themselves significantly. So, you know, running after them and, or, you know, physically controlling them in that situation should be enough to to get that person under control. I can't tell you of any instances that I've seen personally where someone has been tased while, while being handcuffed. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Hey, I'm just making sure, you know, that that, that is covered because... You know, for, for, for those that are listening in later on, possibly on one of the podcasts or on YouTube and commenting, you know, these things come up. I haven't said, I can't say that I've seen all the videos that are out there of, of 
questionable police interactions. Um, there is the case of, of people running away from the police and getting shot. No weapons, just pretty much just running away, don't want to be arrested, running away, and end up being shot and killed. And, you know, it's... It, of course, there's the Philando Castile situation that pretty much everybody knows about, you know, sitting in his car and getting shot. And there was a time when there was shooting after shooting after shooting with police-involved shootings and the individuals are running away. So these are not in handcuffs. They're not, they're not um, under control by the police officer. Clearly, so that they can run away. They, or they, they, they wiggled out of it and started running away. Does that warrant deadly force at that point? Or is it just a matter of they're not sure, the officer is not sure if the person is running to get a weapon or if the person did have a weapon but didn't brandish it at the time and is running away and could possibly use such weapon? Again, you have to be presented with that deadly force situation and or, and or you know, uh, a place, like I said, again, based upon the, the individual stature or even maybe, let's say, an aggressive situation can turn into a deadly force situation mm-hmm. for you to be at deadly force. There, there's, you know, no way that you could justify using deadly force in a situation where there's active resistance or passive resistance. You know, and, and like I say, even aggressive leading up to deadly force because... Someone can go from being passive to deadly force. Doesn't have to necessarily continue through through those different steps. Someone could have their hands in their pocket and take out their pocket and present a gun. So they just right. went from passive all the way to deadly force. So the officer has to be able to establish and articulate again, you know, how they reach this deadly force situation. And and if they can't articulate that, then there's no way that that's going to be justified. So, on, on on all means, you have to be able to articulate. You know what were the circumstances that were going on in this particular incident that made you feel that your life or someone else's life was in imminent danger, right? And or you know serious bodily harm was 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 imminent without you using this level of force. You know, someone simply running away from an officer is definitely not going to be a place where deadly force should be applied. Mm. Now, you know, if this person is, let's say, with a firearm and, you know, they're, you know, presented it to the officer and then now they're running towards, let's say, a child or something like that. The officer can perceive that, hey, this person is, you know, going to, you know, attack this child or you know, attack this other member of the public and they've already presented this weapon and have this propensity for violence, that could change the situation. But simply running away from an officer is not going to be something that you can articulate to say that, hey, this is deadly force. Funny you should say that. There is a situation recently where the, uh, there was a, a girl that had a knife that was attacking someone. The cops were called. There was, uh, I think it was a domestic dispute. Um, cops called. They came out to the scene. Girl 
came out and saw two individuals fighting. One of them had a knife. And the cop shot the girl and killed her. I'm familiar with that particular incident. Right. The one with a knife. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, whoa, that's a tough call. Because you can't say that you're going to go for a taser at this point when here is someone with a weapon attacking someone else. So now your job is to protect life and here is a life that is in danger. Wait. Okay. Yeah, so it was a really tough call on this officer's part. And, you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm going to switch connectors here one second. Um, it was a really tough call on this officer's part, but he had to think quickly. And in doing so, he had to take a life. And people, people have this, this notion of saying, you know, because they see it on TV. Um, he could have shot her in the leg or shot her in the shoulder or something. Uh, shot the, the knife out of her hand. You know, like <laughs> people are, 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 are posing targets for you to practice on. When in truth and in fact, the only thing you have to shoot at is the largest part being displayed. You know, and it 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 sounds. It, I know it's how it sounds, but the reality of it all is one. The officers involved are human too, and two, in a situation like this one, where you have a, an individual wielding a knife, potentially, to take the life of another. A decision has to be made, and it's, it's, it's in this case, it's a split decision. And th- that was really rough. When, when you've, I, I don't know if you can personally answer this question and, and separate yourself from the Lauder Hill Police Department. If you can't, that's fine. Um, but when you first saw that video, or you first came across that particular situation, uh, what was your take? Again, very, very hard to comment on it because I know that it's still ongoing and there's, I'm sure, more facts are going to come out about that case. So Mm -hmm. for me to give, you know, my opinion on it, I would be, you know, unjust in doing so. Okay. But again, like I said, just a, a hard decision for any officer, you know, any person to make. Where, where it's, you know, especially from my understanding, there, there were two um, juveniles involved in that particular yes. situation where you have to take, you know, the life of a child. And, you know, if you didn't, you know, make that decision, then the life of another child can be taken, you know. So just an extremely, extremely hard situation, you know, for that particular officer to have dealt with. And again, like I said, just, you know, my opinion on it would be, you know, unjust and, and unfounded because there's there's still more, I'm sure, to come about that particular case because it's still ongoing. But when I first saw it, I just thought, of, you know, of it as a tragedy and a tragic moment, mm. you know, where this particular officer was in the middle of that and had to make, you know, the decision that he that he made. 
Right. And in, in either situation, you know, well, I'm sorry, not situation, but either decision that he would have made, potentially a life, a, a life could have been lost. Right. So, you know, just a, a very, very, very Including tough situation. Including his. Very tough situation. Yeah, because, you know, even, even if he were to try to, to, to physically restrain this girl, he could end up being fatally wounded. You're 100% right <laughs> about that as well. So, you know, just, just for people to have an understanding of, of, of really and truly what it is when you guys put on your uniforms and head out of your homes in the morning, you also want to get back home. That's true. Ultimately, uh-huh. the goal is to get back to your family and your life. So it's 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 all good and well when we 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 think that you know as as police officers, you know you're upholding the law, so you should know the law and and what it entails and such. But at the end of the day, you're humans, just like everybody else. You're human, and in whatever professional capacity you serve. You don't know everything there is to know about that job that you're doing. So, so you got to continue to continue to learn and continue to grow. Exactly. If you stop learning, you stop growing, then you've already failed. So, again, that's why when right. we first started the conversation, I tell you, I, I encourage you know the officers that work with me to research every single day. And of course, you want to have this knowledge on the, the top of your, your, your head at, at all times. But sometimes you may have to go back and refer. Mm-hmm. But if it means, you know, taking that extra second to refer to the law and make sure that you're operating and doing everything the right way, I would rather that than, you know, you making a, a mistake with someone's freedom in somebody's life because that's nothing, you know, to play with. That's not a game. So, you know, you have to take this job extremely serious. And it matures you a lot. I mean, even if you come into this job young, the things that you see and the things that, you know, you go through on a daily basis, you know, they they change you. They change your your outlook on the world, Mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that we see and things that we have to, to do in our profession, a lot of, you know, other individuals will probably, you know, not be able to handle some of that type of pressure. You know, but we have to still remain professional. We still have to, you know, have that compassionate side. And again, like you said, you know, we think about making it home to our our families and our homes and our loved ones every single time that we put on that uniform and walk out. But you still have to put that service, you know, first and put the community first. And I believe that if you do that, you'll you'll make, you know, make it in your career and be successful. You know, it's just it's just that you you gotta you gotta you gotta keep keep pushing forward. You gotta keep going, and hopefully, things like this, you know, us talking in, in these open platforms, you know, lessen some of the situations that we've been seeing on the TV and on social media and on the news outlets of you know officers being involved in shootings, of you know individuals being you know killed because. At the end of the day, I don't think that that's, you know, the aim of, of anybody who puts on a gun and a badge mm-hmm. when they walk out of their house. But even the, the way individuals are detained, even even simply that, just the way individuals are detained, 
you know it it it, it having in in my opinion having these discussions really help to 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 mitigate how that happens you know right. it 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 leaves you guys in the police department accountable to what you present and it educates the community in what to expect one and their role in 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 this because with everything there's an equal and opposite reaction correct and so you know you you comply with instructions and everything should flow smoothly even if you're in objection to it correct and and there's you know avenues and means that if you you felt that you were you know something was not done professionally or was unjust there's professional standards within our agency mm -hmm. and the internal affairs where you can make a formal you know complaint and or you know present any allegations if you feel that there's something that's been handled inappropriately or you were dealt with inappropriate by by an officer right um, every you know division they have supervisors so yes. there's you know a particular situation where you're on scene and you know you need to speak to a supervisor you can always request one and say hey look i need you know a sergeant here i need a lieutenant here and so forth um our chief she's very open and and she is you know very welcome welcoming to the community to you know voice their concerns yeah. as well as our our commissioners and our city manager so right. if there's you know and they're they're a phone call or email away and again with you know camera phones and we even have body worn cameras ourselves mm -hmm. you know that that provides that extra layer of accountability that if there is something that's not on the up and up it's going to be revealed so right. you know you can rest assured you know in lauder hill that if there's an issue that it's going to be dealt with you know and dealt with appropriately and professionally you know People have a tendency to look at police officers across the board. It doesn't really matter where in the country they are or even where in the world um, and, and paint to a broad brush. And I want people to understand, those listening to this live broadcast or the podcast or any other recordings, that I believe that there are good officers in each police department trying to make a difference, trying to police the right way. I have been fortunate enough to, to, to have interactions with those from the Lauder Hill Police Department that, that, that this has been their goal. This has been the way that they, they seem to operate. And the community has proof of that. The, the community reflects that, that, that sentiment. And... Um, I, I do believe that the, the next community walk that you guys have in Lauder Hill, uh, which is the 26th, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, I plan to be, yeah, Wednesday the 26th. Yes, of May, correct. Yes. I, I plan to be there for this one. All right. Well, we look forward to having you there too. So, yeah, I'll, I'll get to talk with some of the people in the community and see what they have to say. 
about the Lauder Hill Police Department and, and how they operate in, in their community. And it, it, it is good to have this kind of exchange. It is good to have this level of exposure because it, 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 it says, yes, one, yes, we want to work with our community. And two, the community is willing to work with us. And the more we have that, then the more we have the service part coming into play with police officers. Because the community is effectively protecting itself. Yes, sir. I agree with you. Um, Sarge, I, I truly appreciate love that you could take this time out to, to, to hang out with us and to share with us and to, to impart some of your knowledge with us. Big ups to the chief, big ups to, to Lieutenant Santiago for um, putting this connection together. You know, making this connection. I, I hope he's getting some rest now because you guys have been pretty busy. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, we have. And, um, you know, not pointing fingers at the community at all. <laughs> you know, but things happen. And as a, as, a, as a way of your service, you guys have been pretty busy. And speaking with Lieutenant Santiago earlier, I, I, I got wind of some of that. So, you know, big ups to you guys. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And thank you for having me on here to Not speak. And, and again, providing this platform for myself and the Lauder Hill Police Department, you know, to connect with the community. I greatly appreciate you. Hey, it's my pleasure and privilege. Listen, you get some rest, you take care, you stay safe. All right, you do the same and stay safe. Thank you. All right, good night. All right, have a great night. Ladies and gentlemen, Sergeant Torrance Gary from the Lauder Hill Police Department. Um, I, 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 I am once again truly grateful to the Lauder Hill Police Department and Chief Stanley and the great big ups to Chief Stanley and Constance Stanley and the great job that she is doing in the Lauder Hill Police Department. If, if any of you guys had any questions that I didn't touch on or um, any comments that you want to share, you know, feel free. Put it, go visit the, the, the podcast or check out the YouTube and, and comment there. Um, one comment here that, that Bobby had in the stew pot is he spent six years, he did six years as an auxiliary police officer. And he said he enjoyed his service. It was all about helping and listening. And I believe for the, the, the greater part of their jobs that this is what a lot of police officers do. They, they help and they listen. And the arrests part and um, what is involved in the, 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 the parts that we get on the news where officer involved shooting or you know here you have someone dying while being detained the in custody deaths you know it it, it it raised a lot of questions but to be jumping to conclusions 
you know, it's it's not beneficial for anybody. So when we get to have these open discussions, you, everyone listening, you have an opportunity to to ask a question, to to raise a comment, to raise a concern, and even if not on this platform, to visit your local police department and and say, you know. I think you guys are doing a great job or to say I don't like how you guys are operating because this has been my experience but to open up that line of communication I believe it is really important and to keep those lines of communication open it's that's how relationships grow just like how you and 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 your partner you and your 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 best friend you and your family members this growth in your relationship happens with effective communicating, which means that you're actively listening and you're expressing yourself using your words. And now you have this communication going on. Communication is a two-way street because as you communicate out, you get communication coming in, information going out and coming in, and the lines of communication are open. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do when we do this so podcast is everywhere the night shift with dj kevin stew you can you can search for it online uh youtube the night shift with dj kevin stew and of course on this platform kevinstew.com you have access to previous broadcasts including this one which will be up by morning so (laughs) you know you can come back to it and ask questions later on. I can forward the questions to the police department, to the chief, to the lieutenant, to to the sergeant. Um, we can get answers. If if I, if I don't have the answers, which most times I probably don't, <laughs> but I can ask. I can forward those questions, and I can get the answers for you. So don't be afraid. And you know, if you're in the Lord Hill community, just go on over to the police department and ask them ask them the question yourself. That's an option too, because they're there to serve as well as to protect. Yeah? Cool. So, as we wrap up this broadcast in a nice little bowl, we get to do a little bit of musical therapy as we get out of here. And we kick off this therapy with David Powell, track called Life Hard. Heights of great men. Hey, yeah, yeah. But still I now break. Sit back and watch the world spin. Or take a look at everything that's happening. Hey, you know them have we in a race with them set up. But you know we are going. Mm-hmm. Life hard, but we still and live it up. No say it up, but we still have you sit up. Life hard, but we still and live it up. We now give up the fight, can't give up the fight Life and hope, we still not leave it up No one said it up, but we still not face it up Life and hope, we still not leave it up We now give up the fight Heights of great men, say life and hope me going Enough time to see, mommy cry from me growing No time to smile cause you know what's happening Off you go on the road and take on the beast master uh-huh. Off you stay under control Happy have that mindset, stay true to your goal Happy have that drive, the hunger in your soul You alone on the highway, but you're happy to toll, ayy Cause you buck up in a hidden out here 
Office stay strong in a Gideon Office have a heart of a lion Stay strong in a Zion I'm more than a conqueror, yeah From J.A. Thank God I've got rid of you Where them are real, yeah Brother and sister, them tougher than seal, yeah I want link so you know the thing seal, yeah I want link so you know the thing real Life hard, but we still a live it up No say it up, but we still a fist it up Thank each and every one of you for tuning in. Thank you for the support. As we continue to grow this broadcast, invite you to share it with a friend. Tell somebody about it. Call a friend, an enemy. Friends of your friends, friends of enemy, enemies of your friends. Tell everybody. Son of David Powell, it's called Heights of Great Men. Well, actually, it's called Life Hard Heights of Great Men. This is JQ. Track called Get a Morals. Up of the hour. The sound of JQ. To the 
It's called Get Somewhere Else. Reminding you to come tomorrow. It's Healthy Love Night. And tomorrow we'll be looking at women's health. So you don't want to miss that one. It happens right here, same time, same place, kevinstew.com, 10 p.m. Eastern. This is on a Nikki Blaze. Ten minutes to the top of the hour. Ten more minutes before I get on out of here. It's called Lost in Illusion. I see them lost. Yes, I see them. Lost in illusion. I see them love Oh yes, I see them Lost in delusion Illusion. And now they reside In the state of confusion Why is it that my race Remains poor My race sitting on the jail floors My race fighting to knock down doors Same race they stole from across the shore this great nation still trapped on my supplantation. Up of the hour, I can tell you this. I'll be going to sleep, not waking up in just a few. But that's only because it's the end of my day. Thank you all once again. As we wrap up tonight, this morning in some places, I do want to encourage you to look out for members of your community. To remember your community is not just the development that you live in, but it spreads far and wide. Those that you pass on the bus, on the plane, the boat or the train, whether you walk, ride or drive, these are members of your community. Do something good for one of them today because you never know who's going to do something good for you tomorrow. My name is DJ Kevin Stewart, so I like to do it to you, for you, and with you every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. KevinStew.com, 10 p.m. Eastern. In the state of confusion, I see them love. Oh, yes, I see them. 
The track is called Lost in Illusion. She goes by the name Nikki Blaze. This is Miss Annette Brissett talking about some beautiful people. Why do you fight us so? We're only here to multiply and purify this earth You take a man and you judge us all But put yourself in my place Wanna see if you stand up tall We are beautiful people beautiful All beautiful man Beautiful man and leave you all for the night. This is Marcia J. Ball. The struggles of life face us each day. The track is called Time Change. Gotta take this journey all the way. You've gotta face reality today for you. Once again, thank you for your support. Come on. Good morning, good afternoon, good day to you wherever you are in the world from right here in South Florida. I bid you a good night. And drop out of this race, no matter Until tomorrow, when we do healthy love, you take care until then, okay? changing before our face. We can drop out of this race, no matter how long, no matter how hard we gotta survive. We have daughters. Have sons, so much work left to be done. What you believe you will achieve. So let's get together, everyone. Join hands and hearts together, take a stand. Speak truth and rights to every man. Times are changing before our face. We can't drop out of this race No matter how long, no matter how hard We gotta survive Times are changing before our face 
we can't drop out of this race No matter how long, no matter how hard, we gotta survive Media Group Innovative Streaming and Recording has done it again. A new way to get your business in full view of your neighborhood consumer through AdShare TV. It's available in your neighborhood today. It's easy. Just call us 754-999-6020. Become a host today and place a TV monitor in a strategic location so it's easy to see. Get a one-minute video ad or longer that plays anywhere in our network. Can't be a host? No problem. For a few dollars, we'll run your 30-second video ad. A host can run announcement specials like buy one get one free or discount ads. Let's turn your flyers into a 30-second video with music or a voiceover. Or let us create and run your video ad with a spokesperson. Take advantage of our early enrollment discount. Join us today. Your ad will be seen at least 30 times per day in your AdShare TV neighborhood. It's easy. Just call us. 754-999-6020. AdShare TV. Part of Pulsing Media Group. Salutations, one and all. You're invited to tune in to the night shift with DJ Kevin Stew. It airs on Mondays with community and finance, Tuesdays with healthy love, and Wednesdays with real talk from 10 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time. Come spend some time interacting in the stew pot where we keep things bubbling and wind down in musical therapy. The night shift with DJ Kevin Stew is on kevinstew.com where you're encouraged to have acceptance through enlightenment. <laughs> 